Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. My voice is low today because I am dealing with some sinus issues from a long trip I've just returned internationally. So bear with me today. Maybe a little uh, unusual voice tone in the podcast and no doubt a few coughs along the way. A few days ago, I came across an article which summarized a Gallup poll related to the trust that Americans have in various professions, and particularly the level of honesty, integrity, and high ethical behavior they perceive by those professions. The bad news is pastors were not rated very highly. So I want to talk today on the podcast on why people have a low view of pastors And particularly for you pastors who are listening, what we can do about it to perhaps reverse that perception that many people seem to have of us. What did the Gallup survey reveal? Well, it showed that uh, only 34% of surveyed Americans rated the honesty and integrity of pastors as high, 34%. Now that's down significantly. It was as high as 67% in the mid-1980s, and right after the 9-11 attacks in 2001, a similar survey showed pastors rated at 64% as far as people's perception of their honesty, integrity, and high ethical standards. So we were at a high of 67% in the 1980s. We still uh, had a peak of 64% in the early 2000s, but now, 20 years later, We've had a long, slow period of decline in how people perceive pastors, and we're down now to 34%. Only one in three Americans think highly of pastors. The other two-thirds have some serious concerns about us. Now, how does this compare to some other professions? Well, uh, unfortunately, at least for us, the... uh, Rating of pastors compared to other professions shows that some professions like uh, nurses, medical doctors, pharmacists, teachers, police officers, yes, did you get that one? Even police officers were rated more highly than pastors. And given the level of concern there is right now about police and police officers in the United States of America... That is a surprising number to me. And yet also accountants and judges outranked us on the survey. But here's some good news. We did beat out a few other professions that people perceive to be even less trustworthy, honest, or demonstrating high standards of ethical behavior. Bankers came in at 26%. Real estate agents, 24%. Journalists, 23%. Lawyers, 21%. Car salespeople. 11%, members of Congress, 9%, and telemarketers, oh, telemarketers, 6%. Well, it's good to know, pastors, that people like us better and trust us more and perceive our honesty and integrity to be higher than telemarketers and car salespeople. Wow. Wow. So the question then becomes for us, how did this happen? 
And my answer is going to perhaps frustrate some of you. Pastors, we've done this to ourselves. The culture did not wake up and spontaneously decide we're not going to value pastors highly any longer or hold them in high regard. No, that's not what happened. The hard reality is pastors, and I'll expand that to say other ministry leaders like me, we have done this to ourselves. Our culture did not spontaneously decide to lower their expectations or their appraisal of us. They lost confidence in us because of things like clergy sexual abuse, crooked financial dealings, disingenuous political involvement, and other self-inflicted diminishments of our stature. Clergy sexual abuse by not only the Roman Catholic Church, but also as it's been revealed in Southern Baptist churches, has been damaging to the reputation of pastors. It's damaging to the reputation of pastors because of the pastors themselves who are involved in this despicable behavior, but it's also damaging because of the failure of pastors to take a strong enough stand at rooting this kind of behavior out in our own communities and, in our, and from our own professional brotherhood, if you will. Financial shenanigans? Listen, when pastors abuse people financially, particularly by promoting some kind of health and wealth, prosperity, gospel, theology, when pastors are seen living, I'll say it this way, the high life, when pastors are seen jet-setting around the country, wearing expensive clothing, driving fancy vehicles, vacationing in resort locations, when pastors are seen doing this not as a once-in-a-lifetime or even a once-a-year uh, treat for themselves or their families, but when they're seen doing these things as a lifestyle choice, it raises a lot of concerns from a lot of people about what's really going on among clergy in North America. And then, as I said, disingenuous political involvement, selling ourselves to the highest bidder to gain some kind of political favor, to curry uh, approval and popularity, to find ourselves uh, selling ourselves out so that we can associate with some political force or person that has uh, uh, influence or has popularity in our culture. Rather than being people who stand up and speak to power, we find ourselves speaking for power. Rather than be people who demand justice, we find ourselves compromising so that we just get what we want rather than demanding justice for everyone. Listen, these kind of behaviors diminish the pastoral office, diminish the pastoral role, and cast a pall not only on the people who are participating in these behaviors, but on all the rest of us who get caught up in the backwash of the choices that these prominent leaders have made. Now, it's easy to cast stones at those kinds of problems and say, well, I don't do any of those things, so I must not be contributing. But let me just go a little bit further down this path of things we've done to ourselves that have diminished the role of pastor in the eyes of people in our culture. Another thing we've done that's diminished the role is we have extended the pastoral title 
to lesser leadership roles in churches and to people who are not biblically qualified, according to 1 Timothy 3 and other passages, to have the role, the title, the honor, if you will, of being called pastor. Now, I'm not speaking only here about making this title available to women. That's not really the focus of this podcast. But I am saying that when we start calling everyone the children's pastor, the executive pastor, the youth pastor, the facilities pastor, (laughs) all of these different people getting the title pastor, it diminishes the role and causes people to see it not as a unique office filled by a remarkable person who's answered God's call to a lifestyle, a role, and an office. No, no, we diminish the role because we pass around the title in ways that can seem uh, frivolous, if you will, in giving out an accolade or giving out a, 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 a name that really doesn't match up with the expectations that often go with it. So I don't mind a congregation having more than one pastor. That's not my point. But the name, the title, the role, the office, the word pastor needs to be reserved for people who truly have a pastoral function, a pastoral role, a pastoral oversight, and who truly do model the biblical standards and qualifications of what it means to be a pastor. Look, there are Half a dozen easy other titles available, minister, administrator, deacon, uh, uh, a leader, uh, a, a supervisor, all kinds of titles that can be given, manager, etc., to people who are involved in ministry leadership roles. And those titles can be used and be used well. But I think we've diminished the title and role and responsibility of pastor by using it indiscriminately to describe all kinds of leadership roles in a congregation. And then a second thing that we've done that's another diminishment in this category is how we have presented ourselves as pastors and how we are uh, changing the way we want to be perceived by people and in doing so communicated less and less of the uniqueness of our role and responsibility in office. I'm talking about how you present yourself in two or three different ways. I, I'll say, first of all, how you dress. Now, I've done other podcasts on dress codes, and I don't want to go down that path uh, too much today. But what you wear communicates something about who you are, about what you're there to do, and about how you perceive the role that you have been given. Now, I'm, again, not going to do the whole podcast again on dress codes, but It's important to understand that dress communicates powerfully very many messages, both blatant and subtle, about who you are and what you do and how you perceive the work or the role that you have. And again, I'm not advocating a certain uniform for pastors in every context and setting, but I am saying that how you present yourself, how you present yourself publicly and in the role of pastor, communicate something about what you want people to perceive about that office and that responsibility. And then, even beyond that, how you present yourself in the workspace and in your workplace says something about how you perceive yourself as pastor. I remember when I went to my first pastorate 40 years ago that uh, 
I arrived and there was a room designated in the church, pastor's study. It wasn't even called the pastor's office. It was called the pastor's study. And the church, even though it was a small church, made it a point to say to me, Pastor, we recognize you need a place to study, to meet with God, and to pray, and to study his word, so that when you come out of that study and step before us to preach and teach, you have something to say that's transformative in our lives. Man, the people of that church recognized, even though it was a small church with limited resources, that the pastor's place said something about the value they attached to the office. And it was my responsibility to define that pastor's study as I wanted to, but it was also my uh, opportunity to use that space to define what it meant for me to be a pastor. Now, I realize different people, different perspectives, but for me, that meant having a clean workspace, an ordered workspace, an attractive workspace. Now, again, small church, not a lot of resources, so we didn't go out and spend thousands of dollars on furniture and those kinds of things, but we did spend a little bit, and I did get some help from some people that know how to do this better than I, to create a really warm and welcoming environment that said, this is a professional workplace. Serious things get done in this room. What happens here has an impact in our church and our community, and The fact that we set aside this space as a church communicates that we don't set aside this kind of space for anybody else in our church. The fact that we set it aside communicates our pastor matters. The pastoral role is important, and we want to communicate that by how we present that even in our facilities. So what I'm saying is, pastors, we have done this to ourselves, this low view that people have of us. And what we've done is some pretty egregious behavior in some cases, but even when we haven't participated in that awful kind of behavior, we've often done other things in terms of how we present ourselves in our communities by how we dress and how we use our space and how we present ourselves in our work context that also contributes to diminishing the role, responsibility, and office of what it means to be a pastor. Now, Let's move on to talk more positively about how we can correct the problem. What can we do about it? Well, I think the first thing is to reassert a reality that pastors are supposed to be different. We're not supposed to be, in every sense and context, men of the people. We're supposed to be a little bit different. Pastors are supposed to model personal holiness including circumspect behavior, which avoids questionable activities. You know, as a pastor and a pastoral leader, there are some things I just don't do. I don't particularly think they're sinful. I just think they're questionable. If I see other believers doing them, I don't judge them. Don't even tell them to stop. I just know I can't participate. Why? Because I am trying to set an example that avoids questionable behavior, not just sinful behavior. And while I don't want to become legalistic about this, I do want to be intentional about it. I want to be careful about it. I want to be sensitive about it. We want to model personal holiness. Pastors are also supposed to be 
examples of Christian virtue. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean that we're seen as people who are consistently striving to live in ways that others can emulate. We don't have a perfect marriage, but people should see us growing in our marriage and striving to be a model of what it means to practice Christian virtue in marriage. Same thing with parenting. We are far from perfect parents. But I hope people saw in me a person of zeal who was really applying himself to try to be the best father that he could be. And when it comes to other aspects of my personal life, personal disciplines, including things like taking care of my body and other uh, aspects of what it means to just live out the Christian faith, I hope people see me as a person who's trying to live up to the standards that we, uh, that we advocate. We're supposed to be, and I'll say it this way, ministry professionals. Now, I know a person wrote a very well-known book a few years ago called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals, and I don't take any issue with that book because I know what he was trying to say. He was trying to say that we are not pursuing careers, we're pursuing callings. I fully grasp that, and I frankly fully agree with it. We're not pursuing a career. We're pursuing a calling. But I use the word ministry professionals not to describe building a career, but in the best sense of the word of seeing yourself as having gravitas in the role in the, role and the work that you do. You know, people that are in our culture that are, that are in professional responsibilities, people like attorneys and doctors, teachers and accountants. These are people that bring a gravitas to their role, a seriousness to their role. When you get in their area of expertise, you uh, humble yourself just a bit and listen carefully to what they have to say. I know that when I sit down to talk to to our attorneys here at the seminary, I, I don't lecture them on how much I know about the law. I recognize they're serious men and women who've devoted themselves to years of study and practicing their craft, and they have significant experience at doing what they do, and they understand their systems better than I ever will. So when I meet with them, I'm humbled to listen to what they have to say. Same thing with my physicians. When I go to them, men and women that have studied and practiced and learned so much about what it means to care for others medically, they have a seriousness about them, a a weightiness to them, if you will. And when I go to meet with them, I I recognize that in them, and I defer to them because of that. Same thing with my accountant. It's tax season right now, and I'm pulling together all of my information, and I'm submitting it to the man who helps me with my taxes every year. Now, this man has been doing taxes for years, and he's an expert in the field and has incredible software that manages all these changes the IRS keeps throwing at us. And when he sends me back a return with a cover letter explaining it to me and talking me through what he's done and why, I take it seriously. I listen to what he has to say because there's a gravitas, a seriousness, a weightiness about his opinion. So when I say that you're a ministry professional, I don't mean you're a professional in the sense that you're pursuing a career instead of a calling. No, we are pursuing callings as pastors. But when I say in the best sense of the word, you're a ministry professional, I simply mean that you bring a sense of gravitas, a sense of weightiness, a sense of Uh, of seriousness to your task that's evident to people who talk with you so that when people engage you about spiritual issues, about anything related to their relationship with God and how it impacts life, they'll have the same kind of deference and respect for you that they would have for their doctor 
or their attorney or their accountant because they recognize in you a person who's prepared his life, who's studied, who's ha- who has experiences, who's reflected deeply and seriously on the task of ministry. And you come to that moment of interaction with them, and they're going to recognize I'm talking to a pastor right now. And that word has gravitas and weightiness because it brings with it this sense of being the professional in the sense that I'm describing it. So I think that beginning to reclaim, if you will, a higher view of pastors starts with us owning the role and accepting the reality that we're supposed to be different. We're role models of personal holiness. We're examples of Christian virtue. And we are, in the best sense of the word, ministry professionals who have a sense of weightiness, of gravitas, of seriousness about our task that, that other professionals in our community have and that people recognize in us when they meet us. Now, let me hasten to say, I know many pastors who are doing these things, and I'll bet you if you surveyed their church and their community, they wouldn't come in at some 30-something percent of a high view. I think it'd be more like 80 to 90 percent. Because pastors who are perceived this way really do have a much higher reputation in their communities. You know, people are insightful enough to meet a real pastor and to, excuse me, to know a real pastor when they meet one. Now, part of the change that needs to happen in correcting these problems I'm describing is having the courage to be different to act like a pastor, to own the role and its distinctives, to, to demonstrate this serious professionalism in your calling, and to reserve the title of pastor for people who really are pastors, and frankly, also to call out bad behavior by other pastors when needed. Listen, these are hard and courageous acts, but they're part of restoring and maintaining this proper view of pastors. Act like a pastor. Own the role. Demonstrate professionalism. Reserve the title for people who really have earned it. Call out bad behavior from other pastors. Don't tolerate it. Be smirching the role or the title. These are courageous acts that have to be done. So the Gallup survey, it showed that pastors today not doing very well in the eyes of many. A low view of our esteem, our integrity, our honesty. A low view of the ethical standards we maintain. We can turn this around. Forty years ago, two-thirds of the people in America had a high view of pastors. Just 20 years ago, it was almost the same. We can turn this around by changing the way we act, the way we present ourselves, and the way that we conduct the way we, we conduct ourselves and see ourselves in the communities where we serve. Now, when I was a younger pastor, or excuse me, a younger Christian before I became a pastor, I was in a church that had a iconic pastoral leader. He had come to the church when the attendance was uh, probably a little under fifty. By the time he retired after twenty-seven years, he had. Uh, been at the church to see it grow to attendance approaching a thousand. He had led the church through many uh, 
growth uh, waves, building programs. He had appointed many leaders, employed many other pastors, worked with many deacons. Uh, he was uh, he was a very very respected pastor, and I looked up to him. In fact, it's not too much to say that I, I wanted to be like him in so many ways. When I made a commitment to ministry leadership, I did not go forward and say I wanted to be a ministry leader or a missionary or a teacher or certainly not a president. No one would have ever thought that. When I went forward in a Baptist church and said I wanted to be in ministry, I went forward and said, I want to be a pastor. I remember my wise pastor at that time tried to counsel me and say, now, Jeff, God may call you to do many other things, so keep the commitment open. Be be willing to do whatever he leads. And I thought, what's this man's problem? He, he doesn't understand. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a pastor. Why was I so riveted, so narrowly focused? Because I had seen in the life of a good and godly man the impact of a person of stature in the pastoral role. I had seen a person that was respected, a person that had influence, a person who made a difference. And I was privileged to grow up watching a person that when someone said, the pastor is in the room, everyone knew someone special, unique, distinct had come among us. I remember when I was in high school, there was a little trouble in our church. Not anything, as I look back on it, overly dramatic, but for a healthy, happy church like ours, it, it seemed pretty big at the time. We had a little trouble in the church. And I was talking to one of the deacons, wise and godly man, about how to respond to this trouble and whether the complaints about the pastor were accurate or not. And I'll never forget what he said. He used some old school language you don't hear anymore. But this good Baptist deacon said, Jeff, you need to always be careful. Always be careful when you hear criticisms of a pastor because you want to be sure that you don't ever raise your hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, I later learned he was borrowing that phrase from an Old Testament passage. Don't raise your hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, I, I realize, I very much realize that that can be seriously abused. I've already said in this podcast, we need to call out pastoral behavior that's wrong. We need to call it out clearly, call it out specifically, and call for change when it's inappropriately being done in any kind of context. I've already said that. But what this deacon was saying to me was not give a pastor carte blanche license to do whatever he wants. He was saying, Jeff, just be careful that you don't criticize our pastor too quickly or haphazardly or inappropriately because that man, that man is anointed by God to fulfill the office of pastor. He is a gift from God to our church, and he is responding to God's call in his life. And we have a responsibility as his fellow Christians and leaders and churchmen. We have a responsibility to stand with him and to protect him and defend him and to support him. That's what the deacon was trying to tell me that day. Well, 
Telling you this story at the end of the podcast, I hope, will give you some personal understanding of why this issue matters so much to me. I believe, and I have believed it for more than 40 years, that the most important role in Christian leadership is pastor. It's not president or professor. It's not even missionary or director or anything like that. It's pastor. And so I want to do everything I can to elevate that role, to help pastors to live and act and work in such a way that they are respectable. And I want to contribute to that by the way I live and work and act as well. If you're a pastor today and you're listening to this podcast, let's determine to do everything we can to restore pastors to the highest place of trust in our culture and in our churches. Let's determine individually to not do anything, anything that would stain the office of pastor. And if you have a pastor today, if you have a pastor, I hope that you will do everything you can to support him, to lift him up, to honor him, and to help him as he tries to fulfill this significant calling God has in his life. And while we may not use archaic language like don't lift your hand against the Lord's anointed, while you may not hear that much anymore, I hope that the spirit of what that deacon was trying to communicate that day, that we need to be careful about how we treat pastors. We need to do everything we can to stand with them and support them and uphold them. I hope that spirit will be yours as you support the pastor God has given you. Too, uh, too uh, sadly to say, pastors today have a fairly low reputation in the communities we serve. Let's turn that around by implementing the things I've talked about on the podcast today. Let's put it into practice as we lead on.